Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, kia ora everyone and welcome along to Seeds Podcast. I'm really glad you could join me as this week we get a chance to speak with Matthew Mark, who's the city missioner. And this was a really fascinating conversation for me, both just to hear about his life, but also the work that the city mission is doing in Ototahi Christchurch. I think sometimes there can be a veneer that um, we don't really see past or we don't choose to see past. And so this conversation really opened up for me understanding what's really going on in the city. I really enjoyed his honesty and sharing, and we talk a lot about homelessness, what you should do if you meet people on the street who are asking for money, as well as the wraparound services that are provided for people. I really enjoyed this conversation, and if you do as well, why not check out what they do in the show notes? There's a link there. And don't forget that this is one of almost 300 other interviews that are in the back catalog, so you might want to check out those as well. The aim of Seeds is to tell stories of people who are doing inspiring work in our communities. Now let's get straight into this interview with Matthew. All right, so it's a real pleasure to welcome Matthew Mark, who's the city missioner here in Christchurch. Thank you for joining me. You're welcome. It's great to have you here, and I've had you on my list of people I'd like to talk to for a long time, um, because I know that the work that the city mission is doing um, is really important, and um, the the side of Otatahi Christchurch that you might see might surprise some people, so I'd really like to find out more. Um, But before we talk about that and what you're doing today um, in the city, I'd like to go back in time and find out about your, your story. And so to do that, could you please tell us where you were living when you were, say, five years old? Sure. When I was five years old, which I was born and raised in Masterton in the Wire Rapper. Uh, so, you know, affectionately referred to as the, the Canterbury of the North Island, uh, very, very similar as far as topography and, and lifestyle and, and everything there. Uh, and I lived there until I was in my teenage years, um, before moving up to Auckland and, uh, and finishing up my schooling and starting work up there and starting a family um, before eventually coming down to, to Otatahi. And Masterton, when you're growing up there, is it a small enough place where you kind of you know, you know everybody, or is it how how big is it? It's a it's a big village. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It, uh, I think at the time there was about eighteen thousand people that were living in Masterton, um, and it really was a, a wonderful place to to grow up um, in respect to the opportunities and the environment and everything there. Um, my own personal journey and, and my life journey was probably not so pleasant though at that time as well. Okay, yeah. And uh, if you're willing to share about some of that, then that would be. Great, but if not, that's fine too. What, what was it like for you as a as a child? Well, I think you know when you look at uh, at where people end up in their lives, often there's things that have happened through their um, upbringings that you know have have created a, I guess, a desire or a pathway for them. And uh, you know, and I grew up in a in a home where my father was a very um, violent alcoholic, and um, you know, and so as a result of that, there our life was somewhat chaotic. And uh, my mother and I, particularly. Yeah, you know, we um, we bore the brunt of that, and uh, and it wasn't until Mum eventually plucked up the courage to to move out of that environment and to take us out of that environment that um, you know, we started to flourish. And what age were you when that was happening? Like that would have been I would have been about nine or ten years old. Right. So it's pretty vivid, strong memories at that yeah, age. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But you know that certainly informs who I am as a as an individual. Mm. Um, you know, I guess if you look at 
any one of us, those first thousand days or those first three years of your life are the, the things that tend to lock and load a, a whole lot of stuff into your DNA. And, um, you know, and, and so it's your environmental side that creates um, often some of those innate attributes of, of who we are as individuals. Um, and so, you know, growing up in an environment where there was, you know, there was an element of chaos and where there was things that weren't so pleasant, um, you know, that's, that certainly informs you and not necessarily in a good way. Mm. And did you have siblings as well? Yes, yes, I had uh, two younger siblings. Right. So I guess as the oldest, there's, yeah, it's an interesting dynamic there as well, isn't it? Because your mother is there and then you're the oldest child. Yeah. So you must have felt like wanting to protect the younger ones as well. Yeah, look, it, um, it certainly made me grow up very, very quickly. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So the, the move to Auckland, do you remember like when your mother said, this is happening, we're, we're going? Or, yeah, how? Um, look, that was, we'd sort of, you know, life had moved on a reasonable amount um, from when mum left my, uh, that, that family home. And um, she had met another man and they um, were married and um, he secured a job up in, in Auckland and so that was the, the reason for the move. And Barry, is, uh, as a stepfather, has been an incredible um, positive role model in my life mm. and Joanne has certainly helped um, shape me throughout my adult time, time as well. Mm. And do you remember, I guess, the emotions of leaving Masterton and moving to a new city like that? Um, look, to be fair, I, I was actually pretty excited about a new start, mm-hmm. and you know, which as a, as a teenager you know, is probably not quite normal. Um, but uh, you know, things that had gone on historically, um, environments, situations, people, um, you know, it, was, it was a nice opportunity to, to look at something fresh. Mm, yeah, that's really interesting because the work that you do today, I, I'm sure we're going to get onto this, but you know, there's, there's, there often are, are these echoes through a life, yeah. isn't there, of, of the origins and then what is it that people end up doing with their lives. So mm. yeah, yeah, I'm that's sure exactly right. we'll come back to this. <laughs> um, so describe then, you know, as you're getting into your teenage years and yeah, what sort of things did you enjoy? Did you like Outdoors and sports, or reading, or a bit of both. Uh, look, I was, I was a bit of a mixed bag, to be honest. Um, I do enjoy my outdoors very much. Um, so running, cycling, and that led on to as I went into adult years, led on to me doing adventure racing and multi-sport. Mm-hmm. Um, very much enjoy my vehicles, and so I, um, you know, right from as soon as I was able to drive, I I had a car and would be working on vehicles and. Um, and doing you know, all sorts of different things with them, and still do today, um, and very focused on family as well. Mm. So more than just admiring the cars, actually fixing them and, and I love getting, getting into the dirty. engines. And, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> uh, I love cars in the sense of that's a, a beautiful car, maybe I would buy it and drive it rather than get under the hood and, and fix them or things like that. Yeah, yeah. So now I, I enjoy getting under the hood. Mm. Um, so I do have a... A couple of classic vehicles that um, that I enjoy just tinkering around with as well. Yeah, what is it that you enjoy about that? Oh, I think there's just something cathartic about actually uh, getting your hands dirty. No, no different to many people that enjoy gardening. Um, you know, where you've just got your hands in the in the soil and the gardening, and there's a, a connectedness there that that happens. Um, it's the same sort of thing for me when we work on a vehicle. Yeah. So, what would be your favourite vehicle? Oh goodness me! Um, I've probably my the two that I've got in the garage at the moment are ones that uh, I have enjoyed um, for, for some time. So a, um, a 1966 Mustang right. um, and an AC Cobra. Wow. 
So, um, you know, they're, they're ones that, as a child, I, I grew up, um, you know, constantly uh, looking at and drawing and, and imagining. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I enjoy the privilege now of being able to, to actually physically enjoy those as well. Yeah, that's great. And so as you're coming through your high school years, did you have a certain topic that you thought, maybe I'll pursue this after I leave high school? Or, yeah, what was it like for you getting to the end of high school? Yeah, we had a... Um, I, I quite vividly remember actually a careers day and we had some people coming in from the, the banking sector and talked about graduate programs that they were able to offer. Um, and so I actually left school and went straight into banking. Um, the, you know, in my subject lines, you know, we're, we're very much in that, um, in that vogue as well from economics and accounting. Um, and the, you know, and I, I crafted out a career in, in finance for, um, for many, many years. Wow. So what did they say to you as a, as a high school student to get into banking? Do you remember like the pitch? <laughs> uh, look, I think it was more just around the opportunities that, that it presented right. and, you know, and those opportunities, you know, I managed to realize as well. So I think, you know, I was, um, within the ANZ bank initially out of school and, would have been one of their youngest team leads through a um, the foreign uh, foreign exchange um, department that they had, and you know, and so did manage to uh, to see some really good success out of that. Mm. So the foreign exchange thing, what was that about? Uh, really, just looking at um, all your international trade. Okay. Yeah. So you're on a desk and doing the trades. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And um, so at that point in your life. Uh, were any of those echoes of childhood starting to call back or, or were you really focused on career? Or? No, very, very focused on career. And, uh, and I think, you know, like probably many of us um, Kiwi blokes particularly do, is we tend to, to squash those things and try and tuck them away in a, in a corner in the back mm-hmm. and, uh, and forget about them. And, you know, and I did that quite successfully for a number of years. And, uh, and my focus was very much on my career and advancing myself through that. Mm-hmm. And so what were, your, what were your drivers at that point then? within the bank well i you know with our environment as a as a young family when i was growing up uh, we we didn't have much at all mm-hmm. and um you know and so if we were to if we were fortunate enough to be able to play sports it was only with gifted gear or you know from a secondhand store and i was determined that i wasn't going to enter into my own family life um and you know, and have that same environment. So I was very driven about uh, you know, being successful. Mm. It's interesting that, again, the factors that drive you, right? Like what it is you experience as a child. In my case, um, for one year, we lived in Chile in South America, and we saw poverty in a way that we'd never seen in a Western conception. And I think it influenced me a lot more than I realized, mm. having that experience as a 10, 11-year-old. Um, and yeah, so I can see the, I guess the reaction to not having enough or not having a huge amount to then wanting to provide for a family. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly right. Yeah. So what happened next? Um, so I met my, my, um, lovely wife through, at the time we were late teenagers and, uh, met her through a youth group and, uh, we fell in love and, and got married, um, quite young and started a family very young as well and so you know we were early 20s and um and we had our first child and um, that grew to a family of four kids and so i've got three three lovely young men and um and a daughter uh, and so we have one grandchild now and another one on the way as well wow so you know it's um it's it's been a, a an absolute wonder to 
you know, to grow and to, you know, and to flourish with our, our, our family. Yeah, that's awesome. And it sounds like it would have been quite a busy home life then, as well as quite a busy career. Is that right? Or? Yeah, incredibly busy home life. Yeah. Uh, we had uh, four kids under five years old. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, they, it was very, very frantic. Was there uh, some it was a, twins in there? Or no, they're just, just very, very close. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we, yeah, we, just, we lived a very busy life, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we laugh a lot, and we, we had some really good, um, I guess, you know, experiences as a, as a family too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we still good. do. Yeah, that's awesome. And so um, we're, we're here in Christchurch now, so maybe talk us through the dynamics of um, moving out of that role within banks and then shifting over to what you do today. Yeah, so I eventually through, you know, as I was banking, I went into a couple of small businesses as well um, in the freighting industry and decided that I needed to get back into something that was a little bit more uh, meaningful for you know for me at the time, um, and I ended up buying a, a, fi- a, f- a finance franchise that um, that went that was a, incredibly successful for us in, in Auckland. Um, at the time, our kids were starting to grow up, and so our, our eldest was um, looking towards the end of his primary school years. And we looked at at Auckland and just thought, look, this is you know the the pace and the life and, and everything in Auckland wasn't really the space that we wanted our, our children to grow up in. And so we thought it was the optimum time for us to be able to move on. Um, and purely just by chance, we'd come down to Christchurch for a conference and fell in love with the place. Hmm. And so we... Had um, you spent much time here before? No, or not, not at all. Right. No, I think we'd visited once before. Yeah. And uh, But we really, really fell in love and just had a, a natural connection. So um, we put the business on the market and it sold almost immediately. Um, we packed all the kids into into our people mover that we had at the time and we headed south. Wow. And what year was this? Uh, so this is back in 2001. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So um, are the kids old enough to remember that? Like, right, yes. we're getting into the people mover, we're moving to Christchurch. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah we are. So um, eldest was, was 10 and, and sort of, you know, um, down from there. So yeah, they're very... They've got fond memories of Auckland, um, yeah. but you know, Christchurch is, is home to them. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I interview a lot of people for this podcast, so this will be about episode 293, and it's a recurring theme of people moving to Christchurch because of the lifestyle and the beauty and well, why the would you nature. Not, yeah. and, Within an hour and a half, you can be surfing or skiing or yeah. um, you know, up in the mountains running and cycling. It's, um, it's just an incredible part of the world. Yeah, exactly. I often, if I speak with Christchurch NZ people who are promoting Christchurch, I always tell them... You, the podcast is full of stories of people just like this, you yeah. know, like moving here. Because we're the same, basically. We've got four kids, and we thought we want to give them a lifestyle and a, a place to be. Mm. Yeah. So when you when you got to Christchurch, um, did you have many people you knew here, or was it kind of clean slate completely? No, we had a, a very small handful of people that we'd made connections with through business, um, but really no, no deep friendships or anything. So it was a, a very fresh start for us, mm-hmm. and it was something that we embraced fully. And, you know, and thankfully, you know, the community of, of Aratahi um, embraced us as well. And, and you know, we've never, ever regretted the move here. It felt like home from as soon as we drove across the, you know, that Welcome to Christchurch sign. Right. <laughs> um, it was, you know, this is where we meant to be. Yeah, that's great. And in terms of jobs and things, what, what did you get involved in? Uh, so I actually ended up buying another little um, finance operation here in, in Christchurch and worked through that for, for a number of years. 
before then um, selling that and moving into back into banking, and um, and that was more just as a. I think it was just a, a time just to kind of settle into a little bit of stability and and kind of ease myself into a, a quieter lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, a critical time with our our kids, you know, as they were in teenage years and everything as well. Um, and then one day, my uh, my wife and I were away for a, a weekend, and um, she has this wonderful knack of asking very needling questions uh, <laughs> or you know deep questions mm-hmm. and um, and this one particular we we're having a conversation there was one part of the, the um, our, our conversation where she wanted to know what my plans were for the year ahead and you know normally I'm very focused and I've got goals and I uh, everything is you know is, is quite um, bullet pointed and so I know exactly what I want to achieve and I couldn't tell her you know I, just, I said um, that I felt like there was some something that needed to happen um i needed to do something that was actually going to make an impact in our in our community and so you know for for someone who had spent you know my my career driving myself to um, to success to you know to not under, to not be able to articulate what i wanted to achieve for the year ahead was a was a quite a shock for myself um and then as those words sort of tumbled out of my mouth saying that i wanted to do something that was going to make a difference and I kind of almost took me by surprise, thinking, "Heck, where did that come from?" Right. <laughs> and um, it was, but it was obviously meant to be because probably within a couple of weeks of, of that conversation, I had someone give me a phone call. And I guess there's a bit of a background to it. Um, the financial organisation that I was working for at the time, we had become a sponsor of Ronald McDonald House, and I'd started bringing my teams that we had from around the South Island into the um, the different facilities that they had as volunteers and so they would volunteer their time into there as well as the the sponsorship that we had with them mm-hmm. um, and the then CEO gave me a call one day and said look we need to grab our coffee and you know we sat down and we we're having a bit of a chat and she said actually there's something a little bit more purposeful with this coffee meeting she says um I'm heading to across to Australia and so my role's going to be coming up and I think you should throw your hat in the ring for it wow and as soon as she said that I thought wow yeah this this could be that something meaningful wow. Um, so, so this is just a couple of weeks after the. It's only just other a couple of weeks after that conversation, yeah. and so you know, very, very timely. And you sort of look at these things and think, yeah, well, again, it happens for a reason, doesn't it? Mm. Um, so I did. You know, I, I threw my hat in the ring, and it was a, a pretty hotly contested position, as you can imagine. You know, leading a, a, a passionate team that serve our some of our, our vulnerable families and in, in our communities. Um, and I was successful in, in obtaining that role. So, you know, I, I sat in the, the CEO, CEO role of Ronald McDonald House for uh, for some three years before I had a very similar conversation with um, the gentleman who was my predecessor at um, at the Christchurch City Mission, uh, where I had the opportunity to sit down with Michael Gorman, who was retiring, and you know, and, and look at um, at what opportunities there might be there too. And so, you know, as you and, and it's been interesting as we, you know, I've I've journeyed through my role with um, with the city mission now for five years, and you know, and watching my time there, and then looking at my own journey um, up to that time, you can see very clearly um, the path you know that has mm. has led me to where I am, and that's everything from my own personal life and experience and story um, through to each of the positions that I've held throughout that time as well all feed into you know what is a, a really big operation within the Christchurch City Mission and helps inform the the work that we do there actually and inform change that we've had within that as well um, you know it's a 
big it's a it's a business as much as it is a um, you know a mission in serving our community and some of our most vulnerable because of the volume of work that we do there's actually quite a business um, structure that sits in there too so it's nice to be able to bring those skills and attributes um, to the table and have them positively influence the the, um, the serve side of things as well yeah well why don't you describe it because some people listening well some of them aren't in Christchurch <laughs> many are overseas and I think it'd be good to give a sense of what it is that you're doing but before we do that I'm really curious about that conversation with your wife where this sort of whoa I, I didn't know I needed I, I didn't know I wanted to have a, a change or I didn't know if I wanted to have impact what do you think was going on there like what what did had that actually subconsciously been building for a long time or what what was driving that I, I think that change that I had from when I sold the business and then uh, went back into banking was one that I, I mentioned I just felt like I needed to kind of settle myself. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, you know, I, when I, I sort of reflect on that, I think it was really just there was a an unsettledness that was sitting in, in my own spirit, I guess, if you want to term it like that. Mm. Um, but I just didn't know what that necessarily looked like. Um, and so, I, you know, from what I can um, sort of, put together it was that culmination of uh, you know that, that unsettledness the um the lack of um the ability to be able to articulate a, a plan for my year ahead which was really unusual and that curiosity you know that constant curiosity from my wife and it just um it brought it to the right moment yeah that's great it's a shout out to your wife and to others listening who ask those good questions as well. <laughs> oh, incredibly valuable. You yeah. know, and curiosity is one of the best things that we can be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I use that word a lot on this podcast. People listening who listen a lot to the podcast are probably tired of me saying it, but often my questions start with, I'm just curious, yeah. da, da, da. Um, because I think you're right. It, it unlocks so many more opportunities that, yeah, that you absolutely. wouldn't have. But also I think for people listening, you know, how can we be, how can we learn from your wife? How can we model that behavior of actually challenging people or, or questioning or helping them to realize maybe there is something more that, hmm. that I could be doing? Yeah. So why don't you tell us about the city mission and, and yeah, give us a little bit of sense of the history, but also what is it that you're doing on a, a day-to-day basis? And yeah. Well, there's, um, I guess if we, if we look back, you know, we've been operating now for almost 100 years as an organisation. Um, and so we've been through you know, the Great Depression, the wars, the, uh, all those sorts of different things. And, and obviously some own challenges over the last decade here as well within Canterbury with earthquakes and fires and storms and, um, you know, unfortunately, the mosque shootings and now COVID. So there's a lot of things that, you know, that impact and inform the, the work of the city mission. I guess generally, if you would talk to most people in our community, um, you know they they know that we are intrinsically um, into you know wind with the the fabric of Tahi Christchurch, um, but most won't necessarily appreciate or, or understand the depth and breadth of the work that we do. So most people will be able to tell you that we look after our homeless community, um, that you know we we have our emergency accommodation, our shelters. Um, that we have a food bank. And so that's normally about where people's awareness of our work starts and stops. Um, but the reality is that you know, we, we have multiple other streams of, of work. In fact, last year, just in the last calendar year, we would have served about 78,000 people in our community. And when you look at Christchurch you know, as, a, as a population, we've got 500,000 people in our community. Um, yeah, that's 75, sorry, that's 15% um, percent of our community. Mm-hmm. 
and you know, and, and most of those touch points are multiple touch points as well. They're not just individual touch points. And so, you know, that that um, that service comes through uh, multiple different ways. And so, we have a um, our food bank is, is quite significant. In fact, unfortunately for Canterbury, um, we're actually the largest food bank in the country. And Joe, you know, and that's um, that's not a, a you know, it's not something that we should be proud of, but it just shows that there is some underlying issues that are, are going on within our community that do inform a whole lot of other things as well. Mm. Um, so our food bank is probably our largest touch point, but it also acts as that, um, that catalyst for us to be able to journey with people um, through a whole lot of other things that might be going on in their lives as well, because normally vulnerability with food is just a symptom of, of, uh, of many other things that are going on. So we have a, a team of social workers that um, will engage with um, almost all of the people that we, we have come through our doors and um, and through that you know, we'll discover what other um, work we're able to do with them. And so it, it come back to your point about curiosity. You know, our, our team are constantly curious because we need to be. You know, we need to understand what are those things that have informed that person to become who they are or, or that you know, where they've ended up in that situation. And, you know, and normally it's layers and layers and layers of things that have gone on. Um, and so, you know, we, we've got our social work team that are there. We, it might just simply be that someone comes to us, they need some financial support, you know, and so we've got a financial mentorship team and budgeting team, and we work with them in, in a variety of different ways through that. It could be that there's addiction or there's mental health issues, um, you know, so we have quite a significant piece of work. In fact, we, we do all the alcohol and drug work um, from a, a withdrawal management um, side of things for the South Island. And uh, so have a, a strong partnership with the Christchurch DHB, and uh, and with uh, with other DHBs around the South Island. Um, and alongside that addiction work, um, we have our counsellors. We've got in-home um, supports. We've got medical clinic. Uh, we have uh, a whole other range of individual programs that we run in the city mission facility and out in community as well. Um, so our, you know, our our reach through that there is into the thousands, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. You know, addiction is something that actually is a you know it's it's termed an enduring illness, but it, it's also um, something that will sit into any space within our community as well. And so it's not just our most vulnerable homeless people that you know that will suffer addiction. Normally they will, but it's not just there. You know, it can be anything through to executives and people that you know, that we see on our screens and our TV every single day. Um, so you know. It, that's a, a very broad piece of work that we have there. Um, we, I guess, if we took a, a step back to um, to when I I started in my role as well. So um, coming up five years now, one of the first things that um, that or first couple of interactions that I had with some of our whānau or our, our people that we serve um, gave me a little bit of a shock. Um, the first was that as I was talking to someone who was waiting for some food support, they. It, it sort of came about just by asking some questions that they were the fourth generation in a family who was seeking that same support from us. And I thought, man, we've, we haven't addressed the issue here. Mm. There's something that's not um, that, you know, that we're missing. And another was a, um, a gentleman who I was talking to who had been homeless for um, two decades. And, yeah, and that really shocked me because I thought nobody should be without a home like that. Um, in fact, I don't think that anybody should be without a, a permanent roof over their head full stop, but mm. two decades is, you know, is significant. And so that started a different conversation amongst our team about what do we need to do to, to change the trajectory of people's lives. And um, 
and a lot of that was about being curious as well and and asking those those questions and continuously looking at um, at things that have gone on and so understanding you know where those layers um, rest and the you know and, and what we need to be able to do to we can't, often can't resolve those those issues because sometimes the, you know there's been some some very unfortunate things that have happened to people but how do we help people to move forward from that um, and so we started a, um, a, a quite a significant reshape I guess of, of everything that we do and um, and we had some really good really good outcomes with that um, with getting people into permanent housing, getting people um, to a point where they were no longer having to regularly come to us for, for some of those fundamental basics of life. And then we started to, to look at doing some work around how do we get people into me- meaningful employment. And uh, we had a partnership with a couple of organisations here in, in Canterbury, some, some big organisations who had agreed to take on our men and women um, irrespective of things that have gone on historically in their lives. And uh, one of the first ones where we took a group of about a dozen people to have a look around this um, this organisation, um, and we got to the end of it and the, um, the CEO there shared the story about what the organisation was, you know, what, what was their why, their purpose, their mission, and, um, and sort of... And, and, um, captured many of our, our, our men. It was a group of men that we had with us. Um, and they, we had 10 out of those 12 who were really keen to, to look at the employment opportunities with them. So they were all given employment forms to, or packs to fill out. And we came back to the, um, the city mission and we sat down in one of our, our spaces and, and said to the guys, look, you fill these out, we'll get them back to them and, you know, and then we'll start to we'll get that process underway. And out of those 10 who had those packs with them, eight of them couldn't read and write we discovered. And again, you know, it's that whole thing about mm. um, not understanding or not, you know, appreciating some of those challenges that many of our people in our community face. And, you know, and it's, there's been a lifetime of things that have caused people to, you know, to end up in that situation. It's not necessarily a choice that they've made. Yeah. So um, that sparked a, another piece of work with us where we set up a learning and development space now. So we run numeracy and literacy and digital training and a whole lot of different things all the way through to driver's licensing and job-specific training, so barista training and, and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and what we've seen out of that is, you know, as people grow and, you know, it's I guess it's that old adage of, um, you know, a hand up rather than just a hand out. So we, we know that when someone comes to us with a, a need um, that we need to meet that immediate need. That's That's a given. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something that is pressing on them at that time. And, you know, and without meeting that need, you're not going to be able to advance any further. But once that need's been met, we need to understand what's caused that need. You know, what are those drivers in there um, historically and future? And, uh, and then how do we plan for that better pathway for them? And so it's been a real honour and privilege for us to be able to change that focus of who we are as an organisation to, to better support our community to get better outcomes. And so, you know, as we've we've gone through and we've done that through all of our different services, so our, our day programs that we run for our men and women, our alcohol and drug work that we run, our mental health and clinical and counselling and social, um, all of those different things that we do are helping to feed into into that space as well. And so we're seeing, um, you know, we have seen over the last few years a significant reduction in the number of homeless people who are presenting on the streets. Right. Um, you know, down from... Uh, 2017, we had just in the, within the four abs of Christchurch, um, so our central city, we had about 250 homeless people. 
uh, if you were to do a drive around it you know in any evening at the moment um, you might find about 10 at best mm. and uh, and that's been because we've had that opportunity to be able to um, significantly change the you know the the future pathway for for so many of our men and women mm. um, not quick fixes you know because you've got a lifetime of trauma and, and hurt and habits and, and everything that that sit in there um, but you know some of those outcomes have been absolutely mind-blowing yeah that's amazing thank you for sharing that it seems to me like what we're what we're talking about in a way you know there's kind of two pictures i'm thinking of um the first one is sometimes we talk about ambulances at the bottom of the cliff and you know you're there for the immediate need but what is it why is the person at the bottom of the cliff like why did they fall off the cliff why don't we put a fence at the top of the cliff so that they're not down there at the bottom and it's kind of like that the difference in mindset between meeting the immediate need but then understanding like the root causes that led the person to have that immediate need and it strikes me as well we we talk sometimes about cycles you know like poverty cycles or traps you know but cycles potentially could be uplifting as well Mm. couldn't they if you could get people into a a positive cycle then maybe they might be able to change oh look without a doubt and you know and we even see that within our, our programs at the moment with our men and women you know if we have someone who successfully, you know, changes the trajectory of their life, it actually acts as an influencer from a peer perspective with mm. with other men and women who are engaged in our services too. Um, yeah, and generally they yeah they build they build relationships as we as we're serving them, and so for them to watch someone who might have gone through a journey of recovery or homelessness or you know, other vulnerabilities to um, you know to see them get to a point where they're meaningfully engaged and you know in our community that they living independently um they you know they're earning an income they've got a you know a permanent um, employment or they're training or they're doing something that you know that is actually making a a significant change that is reflected in in the behaviors of others that you know that Mm. they're engaging with as well and i think your analogy of the you know the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff and the fence at the top is very much you know informs the work that we do um and just another little add-on with that there is that we've got people that work on the cliff face as well Right, and so you know we've got a team that are uh, we call them community connectors. They they are out in our community and they are engaging with people that are on the fringe of um, you know I guess society or they're struggling with certain things. Where if they continue in that vein, they're going to end up at the bottom of the cliff. And mm. so you know as they they're going through those challenges, we've got a team now that sit in there and work with them. And so it's about getting them to the point where they actually don't need to engage in our, in our community or our, our, our service um, at all. Um, and that's, you know, so we, I guess we've got multiple different approaches to it. And a lot of it does come back to, you know, you, you talk about that, um, the influencing of, or that changing of cycles. Um, if we look at us as a, as a human, you know, I mentioned earlier um, the first thousand days, and there's a significant piece of work that's done around the first thousand days. You know, when we're born as, as, as individuals, only 30% of our DNA is locked and loaded, and that's things like our skin pigment, our eye colours, our, um, you know, um, all those sorts of things you know that are just that just innate to who you are. Um, the other 70% is, by and large, informed um, by your environment. And and so that's where, um, you know, you're, for, for me growing up, you know, where there's violence, there's addiction, there's a whole lot of other things that are going on, you know, that informed my development mm. and you know, and it's the same with anyone you know if you live in a in a cycle of poverty or so in an environment of poverty then generally that cycle is going to perpetuate itself as well 
Um, and so we've got to be able to change those neural pathways within in people, and that's not an easy thing. It, um, you know, it's, it requires a, a, a constant, significant um, approach to, you know, to actually remap the thinking of, of someone's mind so that they don't fall back into those same habits again. Mm. Um, you know, it's uh, anyone who's been through that journey of addiction and, you know, and has, has truly looked at, at the causal factors of it will know that the, you know, those neural pathways or remapping of your neural pathways is a critical part to a healthy mm. lifestyle ahead. Mm. It comes, yeah, it, I'm thinking of the word like habits, you know, and, yep. and there's certain habits and you get into routines and, and yeah, it really has a huge influence, doesn't it, on all uh, on the way, the outcomes that come from those. Yeah. One of our, our team is, um, is very good. One of our team in the addiction space, um, very good at how he shares his own journey with, with um, many of our people that engage with us but also about how he helps inform people so that they understand that journey of addiction as well. Um, you know, he, he likens it to an apprenticeship. He says, you know, you, if you were a builder and you, know, you spent 10,000 hours on the tools um, before you're a qualified builder, well, you know, if, if you have a, a penchant to drink too much, you know, by the time you've done 10,000 hours of drinking too much, that just is ingrained. It's, you know, it's mapped into your brain and, and you're almost doing it out of consciousness. And so, it, um, you know, and so it's the same with anything that we do. Mm. So our behaviours are, are very much informed by the environment that, that we're in. And so we have to change those um, mm. to get a, a different outcome for many of our people. You know, one of our, our catchphrases, well, in fact, we've, got, we've got two that we talk about all the time. It's you know, informed by the past but focused on the future. Um, and the other is that we want to cause meaningful societal change. Mm. So... Um, yeah, it's every piece of our work is, you know, it's got those lenses over it. Yeah, that's great. Thinking back to your own story and your own childhood, which you've, you've shared with us, to what extent has that informed how you relate to people in these situations? I think one of the most challenging things that we have as a, as a human race is that we are incredibly judgmental. And, um, yeah, and it is just, that's a natural thing for us. And so my, my, you know, I consciously, I, I have to, for me, I have to look at it and, and make sure that when I'm, when I'm looking at someone or someone's in front of me, that I try and strip away any biases that I have. And, you know, and I'll always encourage other people to do the same as well. You know, we don't know the journey that, um, that someone has been on that's caused them to be in a, in a certain environment or situation. And so we just have to accept that individual for where they are at that time. And, uh, and that curiosity that we have is what's going to help inform that. And so, you know, we've got to make sure that, um, that we don't um, have pre- preconceptions that, you know, that we, in fact, we do it every day. You know, every time someone walks into a room, you'll, within 30 seconds, you'll have created a story in your own mind about that individual. Mm-hmm. You know, um, someone will walk into a room and you'll go, look, they're, they're wealthy, fit, wise, you know, and all, all these different things. Or, you know, they might walk in and you go, heck, that's not a person that I necessarily want to hang about with. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and, yeah, and we do. It's just, it's a natural thing for who we are. Mm. Um, but it's about removing that, that critical element of it and, and looking at it from, you know, from, I guess, you know, I talk about it from my heart. And so, you know, I look at it from my heart and go, actually, this is a, you know, this is a, a person of value. Now, how do we make sure that we find 
all I can about that person of value to get them into a better place. Mm, Yeah, that's really great. I think for me, um, I I listened to an interview once and the person was saying, we were all once babies. Mm. And you look at, as you say, how a person presents today and then you think they were a baby once, you know, and and we all kind of started there and then things happen in life. And for me, um, the picture, particularly I think because I was in Chile and there were very, very poor people there. And you, but you realize for some of them, it could have been me, you know, it could have been that person, something had happened in life that had skewed them off into this direction Hmm. that they wouldn't have chosen. But that could be me, you know, and, and and I think in some ways that's the similar, like we might judge people based on where they are today, but who knows what it is that's led them to be there today. And if, if we'd been made redundant or if, if something had happened adverse in our lives, someone had died, we got sickness, who knows what it is, then we, we could be there too, you know, and, and sometimes I think you're right. It's easy to put up barriers between us and them um yeah i don't know any reflections on that <laughs> well look, i i think you know it, 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 that's exactly right in fact another thing that happened um soon after I, I started in my role with the city mission was in fact it was the first day uh, the very first day i drove into the car park and i i got out of my vehicle and i recognized the gentleman who was sitting outside of our men's emergency accommodation um and i recognized him as someone that i used to do business with and he had a an accountancy practice at the time, um, and uh, we had some some interactions. Um, and he was now staying with us in our emergency accommodation, and alcohol had become uh, had overtaken his life, and so he had lost his family, he had lost his home, he had lost his um, business, he had lost everything. And um, and I thought it it actually doesn't take so that was quite it was quite an epiphany right at the start of it, looking yeah. at him going. It is very, very simple for that one thing to happen in your life, um, or you know that incremental shift in, in how you're how you're journeying, that causes some pretty significant change or you know a significant difference in your in your future. You know our, our current environment that we're in with COVID over the last couple of years has seen many families that uh, where their their own situation as a as a household has changed significantly you know they've lost an income or incomes you know often in, in many cases and you know you go from something that might have been perceived to be a relatively success um to you know to really struggling just to to meet even the most basic things you know that's a, a quite a, a significant um shift in, in someone's environment and that's not an uncommon thing for us to see it is you know it could it, it can just be a blink Mm. Can I ask, a, this is going to come out kind of strangely, so bear with me, supporting what you do. Number one, I imagine that there would be ways to support, you know, financially or with actual items of food or different ways to do that or even volunteering. But I'm just wondering about another type of support, which is uh, like if we meet someone in the street or, you know, like if we come across people who are very different to us, how, how you know, I'm, I'm speaking as a you know, middle-class person here, like how should we be relating with those people and, and what would be the, the, the way that we should approach conversations, particularly I'm thinking if they come up and say, do you have money, mm. I need $2 to get a bus fare or something like that. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, look, I think yeah, you've, you've asked a couple of questions in there, so we'll, we'll address both of them, but I'll do that second part of it first. I think the, 
come back to your point about everyone was once a baby, mm-hmm. and you know, and so it's good to remember that that individual that you know that's standing there in front of you or sitting there in front of you, who might be looking a little bit dishevelled, you know, might be a little bit smelly, um, might not necessarily you know hold the norms of you know our norms of society. Um, they were once a baby too, and so it's about you know removing those those preconceptions in there. The biggest thing uh, really is just to value them, you know, to give them that time. And and so I, uh, there's nothing more that I, I love you know than just having a conversation with um, with our people. And you know they're really happy to share their stories generally. And you know and so that curiosity again is a is a really powerful thing, and it values them, you know, that you've actually taken the time to to have a conversation with them, to be interested in who they are. And I'm sure that you know that that would make a difference. You talked about the um, you know the asking or the hustling, the you know the the begging side of things. Mm. That's certainly something that uh, we we discourage, um, and for for multiple reasons is that um, often there's there's other things that are going on in their lives. So there might be an addiction of some description or mm. other stuff that's going on where you know you giving them a, a few dollars to um, as they've asked for isn't going to help them. It, you know, it might feed um, an addiction for them or it might um, might cause harm in other ways. Mm-hmm. So the best thing really is to, you know, to spend that time with them, to have a, have a conversation, even if it's just a hello, have a nice day. Um, and then if, there is a, if your heart you know, is, is feeling like you need to do something, it's about picking up the phone and having a chat to us. You know, so talking to organisations like the City Mission and, and saying, listen, I've, you know, I've seen this person here. It, um, you know, it touched me for this reason. Are you guys aware of it? You know, and then just leave it with us because, by and large, yeah, we will know who they are, and we'll we'll be working with them in one way or another. Right. Um, but as 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 hard and and difficult as it might be to to say no to someone um, about you know gifting them some um, some change or some you know a few dollars, um, it's probably the better thing to do as well. Mm. Well, that's good to know. Um, I think it will help people listening <laughs> like me who who you know you going through town or even here like we're recording this in Rickerton just over at Westfield Mall quite often there will be yeah. somebody sitting there with a bit of cardboard and you know a hat or something yeah. um, asking for money but these days the ironic thing is I don't really carry cash at all no, <laughs> I don't even right. have coins you know it's like it's all just pay wave and things yeah. so it's it's not even even if I wanted to I literally have no physical money these days I guess yeah we look at it from um, the enabling versus empowering, right. and so you know, if you were to give them give them cash, um, you, you're potentially enabling a you know, a lifestyle that might not necessarily be um, as positive as it could be for them. Mm-hmm. Whereas if if they're connected in with us, or even just having that conversation, there's an empowering element to that, mm-hmm. and so you know, you're, you're potentially creating a different outcome for that, for that individual. Mm-hmm. So potentially even directing them. I, I'm assuming they already know, but but you could even ask them. Have you been to the city mission or something? Yeah, like look, and, and a lot of them will have their own stories and you know and everything. And there it's it really is very simple to you know to pick up the phone, have a yarn to us or flick us a, an email. Yeah. Uh, we've got a team that do work out in the community on the streets and you know and so are very well engaged and mm-hmm. and you know and understand the stories that that uh, or the backgrounds of, of many of our people that that'll be out there. Um, you know, I can think of one one gentleman that we served not too um, not too long ago who was his life, his life journey had been an incredibly tough one, and uh, to the point where living on the streets was actually his only option because he couldn't be in a room with another individual. 
Um, he was too, too traumatized. And so that took us a number of months to get him to the point where he actually were, was, was in a position where he could come into a room where someone else was sitting. Right. And it took us another few months again before we could get him into a space where he was happy to sleep mm. uh, while others were around him as well. Um, you know, so there's a there's a journey in there that we're we're, we're going on with this gentleman that is going to be a long time journey, mm. and you know, and so and he's engaged in multiple parts of our services, you know, um, our mental health, our, our medical, our um, addiction services, and our, our accommodation space as well. Yeah, and and we're hoping that he'll get into our education space and that we'll be able to, you know, to, to again just incrementally change that that pathway for for him. Yeah, that's great. Well, coming back, you're right. I had lots of questions in my earlier question, <laughs> but coming back to the first part of it, ways to support. Um, what we can do in the show notes is put links to things, so yep. we'll be able to put a link to the website and that type of thing. But maybe if you could just describe any tangible ways if people are listening and they want to support, what would that look like? Yeah, so four four ways that we'd normally say. Um, you know, first is uh, financial. You know, we, we're never scared to um, to tell our community that we actually need their support. We work at the privilege of our community. Uh, so we are 75% funded by community. We only receive 25% government funding. Um, you know, and, and I think that when people understand the magnitude of the work that we do, you know, if we're serving 15% of our community, um, there's a there's a lot of people there that need support. You know, we have a lot of people in our community who can um, you know, who are generous and able to to enable that as well. And so we're incredibly grateful for that. But financial support is is, is very critical for us. Um, and the other good thing about financial support is that we have some great partnerships out in our community. So for our food bank, for example, you know, we have a lot of people that will gift us food, and so it's another way that people are able to support um, gifting us food or gifting us things to sell through our op shops. Um, but if we if we purchase food uh, for every dollar that we spend, we would normally get about four dollars worth of food. And so it's actually it's more advantageous for someone to donate to us than mm-hmm. to perhaps you know buy a, a trailer load of food and right. and gift it to us of the because partnerships we can that you have. yeah because of those partnerships you know so if we can go to somewhere like um, you know foodstuffs for example and you know, we've got um, we've got a great relationship there and that's their way of supporting us is that they generally um, you know, enable us to, to purchase um, very, very cheaply. Mm. And so four times the buying power on average there. Um, so people can donate to us financially. They can donate to us with goods in kind. Um, they can also donate their time. And uh, so volunteering work is, is really important. Um, you know, for every one of me as a, as a paid team member, we've got two and a half volunteers. Mm. And, you know, and so they, they generously gift us um, thousands of hours each month. And yeah, we, we simply couldn't do the work that we do in the way that we do mm-hmm. without people volunteering for us. Yeah. And the volunteering, just to make it really practical, what would be some of the things that people do as volunteers? Oh, it can be all manner of things. So yeah, we've got uh, a, uh, we've got an office dog. In fact, we've got two office dogs. And so we have one person who, who comes in each day who takes our residents from our, our residential withdrawal management facility, um, takes them on a walk with the dogs. And uh, and then spend some time in there. So they the therapy dogs. They uh, spend some time. Mm-hmm. So we've got you know we've got those sort of environments which are you know, quite a, you know quite a little bit quirky I guess. Yeah. Um, a dog walker mm-hmm. um, through to packing food parcels to you know our education space. I think of our our, our literacy um, class that we have is run by a team of volunteers and they are ex school teachers and university lecturers. Wow. Um, 
who you know very generously donate their their skills and experience and and heart for for people um, and make a, a, an incredible difference through to office work um, so you know anything and everything we always want when people give their time to us we we know that that's a valuable thing for them and so we want to be able to honor that so we want to to ensure that they can do something that actually feeds them as well mm. Mm. that's great any other things that you'd like to alert people to in yeah, terms like, of voice yeah, support storytelling's yeah. a really big thing um, yeah we we our voice is only so big and so you know for for us we are, our our reach into our community as big as as it is we still don't necessarily have that cut through with people to you know for them to understand the depth and breadth of that work that we we do so when people are aware of it or they've engaged with us or they've heard something about us um, you know for them to to share that story with others is um, is great as well and that's you know for, for multiple reasons it might inspire someone to support us in, in one way or another but it also helps and in, inform people and so they actually understand some of that other stuff that is going on and I think right at the start of our conversation you know you talked about um, you know that white middle class environment and, mm-hmm. and everything that that you and I are, you know, are a part of and uh, and for many people they're just not aware of some of those challenges that go on in our community and the vulnerabilities that are out there or if they are aware of it, they don't necessarily have an understanding as to, to what the drivers are and the nuances of those spaces as well. Mm. Yeah, there's. I, I, th- I think it comes through clearly, but the um, the depth or the, the nuances of a person's life and what's led them to where they are today. So I, I was working in Sydney for a while and used to give legal advice in a, like a drug rehabilitation center so people would come in with various issues and and we would give them legal input on whatever it was that they were going through but oftentimes they you know the stories obviously of what had led them to you know get to this point where they were now living on the street or whatever it was Mm. um yeah they're just really deep rich stories that you you would never you know, there's a lot of assumptions made. I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's right, and that's that's my point before about you know our, our um, preconceptions that we have when we when we meet someone or see someone mm. um, is that you know it's not just that one moment. People don't generally choose to do something bad. It's often that there's been a, that whole range of, of things that have gone on that have caused them to to end mm. up being where they are. And I think. I think the reality is in my own little bubble, you know, speaking really honestly, my middle class bubble, <laughs> it's hard for me to conceive that eight of 10 people wouldn't have been able to write, you know, or like it's just beyond because I went, to, you know, I went to university. It was writing was a big part of my life. I read all the time. And, and so to be living here in New Zealand in Otatahi Christchurch and to hear that that level of people might not have had that opportunity or something's happened that has disrupted their learning mm. you know it's, it's kind of shocking <laughs> yeah it is and look and there's many other things that you know that would be equally shocking as well mm. um you know that's something that most of us would take for granted mm. you know most of us also take for granted you know being able to to go home and to open up our pantry and to see food in there yeah um, you know, we don't think twice about putting a meal on the table um, yeah. Whereas for you know, for a growing number, that's actually more of a challenge. Yeah, yeah. The last interview I just did with a guy from India, and so we were talking about Indian poverty, and he was in his role. He was actually working in a bank, and he was describing the um, 
the discrepancy between working in a bank, walking downstairs and realizing the people on the street were not sure where their next meal was coming mm. from. And it, it then altered his life course and he's gone off and done some amazing things. But mm. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Well, what we'll do is in the show notes, we'll put some links to things. Um, I, actually, I do have one other question. There are city missions up Auckland, Wellington, I in Christchurch. In yeah. Christchurch. That's right. Do you, do you stay in touch with them? Like, do you share stories and learnings from each other? Or how connected are you across yeah, the look, country? Again, that's something that um, I found quite interesting when I, I first stepped into the, um, the environment as well. It was that there was little or no interaction that happened between the, the three city missions. Um, and that doesn't, you know, that's not how I tend to operate. And so, um, yeah, we, we, we very quickly built friendships with my co- my colleagues and, you know, in those spaces that has now um, gone across our teams. And so our teams interact and, and you know, are, are well connected too. Um, and to the point now where we've started to emulate each other's programs. And so, um, you know, for the three city missions and our three major centres, we now effectively are doing the same sort of things, whereas we were quite disparate before. Mm, that's great to hear, because <laughs> we can always learn from each other. And oh, I would without think a doubt. Sometimes yeah. you come up with an innovative thing, and you could call the person up there and say, hey, you should try this. Yeah. And also, I guess there potentially would be crossover of people who are moving between yeah, cities. Without a doubt. And, yeah. and so, so as much as uh, I moved from, you know, from Auckland down to, yeah. to Tahi. Um, yeah, we have many of our, our community that do exactly the same that sit within you know, the space of those that we serve. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's a, always a busy time for you, I'm sure. Um, but I've really enjoyed hearing about your past and you know your childhood. And thank you for sharing about that, because I think it's how that's informed what you do today is really helpful to know but also just the the journey that you went on through your career and then the power of curiosity mm. <laughs> of your wife and asking some some good questions and then i think it, the conversation you had um you know with the ex ceo of the ronald mcdonald that's interesting that it happened then but also it took the eyes to see the opportunity to then put your name forward for it. And I think for people listening, the question is, you know, where are those opportunities for each of us? Because they just slip by sometimes. And yeah, you're very, you gotta, very right. You've got to have your eyes open. So, um, But yeah, um, we'll put some links in the show notes. People can find out more. Um, but thank you so much for your time today. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that interview with Matthew. For me, there was lots of highlights. As you could tell, we went to lots of different places. If you enjoyed this, then why not check out the Work of City Mission in the show notes. There's a link there to their website and consider volunteering or getting involved. Also, if you like the interview, then why not check out some of the others in the back catalog because there's almost 300 of those. Until next time. (laughs) 